This is Freedom Sunday, in case you hadn't, you hadn't seen the theme running through. It's so exciting to me. Um, <clears throat> on May 1st, a plane went down in the Amazon. It went down in the Amazon of Colombia, and the pilot and one woman on board were killed. Four children on the plane were not killed. Four children ages 13, 9, 4, and 1. In fact, the one-year-old had their first birthday in the Amazonian jungle. They were lost for 40 days as the Colombian army searched desperately for them. This, the, 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 the jungle there will eat you alive. It is, it's in fact, they were, they were lost in a virgin jungle where no one had been before. And they lost search and rescue dogs in the process of looking for these kids. And they thought all hope was lost. And on, <clears throat> on uh, June 9th, a message came over a radio. And the Colombian army has one word they use as a code over their radio when they find a child who's gone missing. And so the message that came over the radio was miracle, 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 miracle. Miracles apparently still exist. Apparently, if it's a word we use to recover kids, it must be something that we believe in our hearts still exists. I think we just wonder maybe what they are. We sing that God same the, that song same God and every time we sing it I'm struck by the fact that own, my own incongruency when I, I sing you were the God who delivered David from Goliath. You were the God who spoke to Mary. Hi ushers, thank you for coming forward. <laughs> Guys, we would love it if you would if you would take this minute to worship by giving. <laughs> I'm telling you what that Amazon story just was in my heart today and I couldn't stop. Um, we, we still serve the same God and I don't know what's happened to our belief that we wonder whether or not he does now what he did then. I wonder what's happened to us, what's happened to our mindset. I know there's theology out there that says miracles were for the time before the Bible and I just don't believe it. I, I'm not gonna take time to explain to you why. You're a part of a denomination that believes miracles are for today that they exist today. And it's funny because what I find is when I talk to people, while it's hard to define what a miracle is, almost everybody knows that they've seen one. Almost everyone can identify a time in their life where they felt maybe even their life was hanging in the balance between light and darkness. There was something. All four of my children, I can point to a time where they shouldn't be alive. And they are. And so our, our content team wrestled with a definition for miracles. Try to figure out how to define it, how to wrap it into words. What we came up with was a divine manifestation of God's power that creates a reversal and reveals his character and purpose in our world. A divine manifestation of God's power that creates a reversal that reveals his character and purpose in our world. I think a, a shorter definition is heaven invading earth. 
We pray on earth as it is in heaven. We pray the prayer of Jesus. We believe that when we look at the condition of the world around us, not to be a negative Nellie today, sorry if your name is Nellie, but when we look at the condition of our world around us, we believe that this isn't what heaven looks like. The brokenness and the fighting and the sadness and the evil run amok, this is not, this can't be heaven. If this is heaven, I want a new God. And so we believe that when heaven invades earth, it creates beauty that would not otherwise be possible or it makes a break between us and evil that would otherwise destroy us. That's a miracle. And I think at some point in every life, we will be a candidate for a miracle. We will need heaven to invade earth. So Jesus came and he openly states what his mission is. We talked a couple of weeks ago how to the Jews of the day, he was just a rabbi. He was just the son of Joseph. He's just a guy who builds chairs on the side. And then he comes here teaching and preaching and then doing some supernatural stuff. And they start to listen to him. And so at one point in Luke 4, he goes into the temple and he, oh, they hand him the scroll and he opens the scroll to Isaiah 61 and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So here he states, this is the mission of God. This is why I've come to set prisoners free. He's coming to set some prisoners free. And when we look at that, it looks almost like a revolt. Like let's just open all the doors of the penitentiary and let all the bad guys out. But that's not actually what he's saying here. In the original language, the word freedom here means a sending away, a letting go, a release, a pardon, complete forgiveness. But the word prisoners means a captive in war, a prisoner, a prisoner of war. These are not prisoners of our penal system. These are prisoners of a cosmic battle between light and darkness that has always been, since the Garden of Eden, there has been a battle going between light and darkness. We are the pawns of the battle. We are the spoils of battle. And we can see it happening all around us. People are prisoner, captive to darkness. Maybe not every part of their life, but some part of their life. And so I wanna look at two miracle stories where Jesus deals with the forces of darkness that have invaded someone's life. But first I wanna start at Luke 8. This is the, the miracle leading into the miracle. It says in Luke 8, 24, first Jesus has, has has got all the disciples into a boat. They're, they've been in Capernaum and they've been doing ministry and miracles and the crowds are pushing in around them. So Jesus gets in a boat, maybe to get some space, looks like that, but actually it looks like he's on a mission here because he puts them in the boat and they start going across the Sea of Galilee and they get caught in a storm. And the disciples are terrified. 
And then it says, Jesus, who had been asleep, got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. And so in this moment, Jesus reveals to his disciples both the ability and the character of God. He has the ability to calm storms, to, 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 make the, to control nature, and he has the character to take care of them when they're afraid. So we see here both the goodness of God and the power of God, and we need to understand both are always at work in our lives, always, even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, the goodness and power of God are always at work in our lives. Right now, the goodness and power of God is at work in your life, in the place where you desperately feel like you need a miracle. His goodness and power is at work. And so then, the demoniac they sailed, to, they sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. Now, this town is a very little and obscure one. History doesn't have a lot of details about it. It's just very small. It looks like there probably weren't a lot of Jews there. It's just kind of a little village with a few people and a really terrorized guy. When Jesus stepped ashore, he's met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, sounds like a cool job, right? Be the one who guards the naked guy by the tombs. Um, though he was kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. This guy is the extreme version of demon-possessed. He is not in control of any aspect of his life. He can't dress himself. He's cutting himself. He is harming himself. He's living by the tombs. He has no family, no relationships, no love. This is his whole life. He is hopelessly stuck. He has no freedom. He's a prisoner of war. But he has something the disciples don't have. Did you catch it? Did you see it in that scripture? This guy knows something the disciples didn't know. So when the storm dies down, let's go back to that real quick. The disciples see it happen and their first words are what? Who is this? I don't know what to make of this guy. Who is this? And when this guy, and they've been with him a while. They've been with him for at least eight chapters. They've been with him through miracles. They've been with him through crazy things. They've been with him through the crowds gathering him around him. And they still aren't sure of who he is. They just watched a storm die down. And they still don't know who he is. And when this guy gets a glimpse of Jesus, what are his first words? What do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Dark recognizes light when it sees it. 
Darkness will always recognize light. It's, it invades earth. Light comes in. John tells the creation story in a whole different way than Genesis tells the creation story. He says he came into the world and he was light and the darkness could not overcome it. That is the name of the God we serve, light. And so light versus darkness, in that contest, it is hopelessly lopsided. Darkness will never win. In fact, what is darkness doing here? He has well and truly uh, captured this man and a whole community around him. And yet the first thing he says to Jesus is, don't torture me. Leave me alone. Give me a break. He has no power against Jesus. Darkness knows light when he sees it. You know who isn't darkness in this story? The man. He's not the darkness. That man bears inside of himself the imago Dei. He bears the image of Christ. He is just taken over by dark forces. He's a prisoner of war. We don't shame prisoners of war for being prisoners of war. We work to rescue them. We don't shame four children for crashing in a jungle. We deploy an army to find them and bring them home. Ephesians 6, 12, our battle is not with flesh and blood. This is a cosmic battle we're in, light versus darkness. And darkness hides and influences our world by hiding inside of us and working through us. The guy, the guy in Gerasenes is just a camping spot. He's a container for darkness to hang out and wreak havoc. Darkness doesn't care about him. Darkness isn't interested in him. Darkness doesn't have an intricate plan for his life. Darkness just wants to control whatever it can control. But it knows light when it sees it. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Now, this word legion does mean many, but it also was a really common term in this day that defined a large group of Roman soldiers. He's a prisoner of war. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Interesting part of this story, Jesus has all the decision-making authority here. He decides what they do and where they go. They clearly understand the powers that they had flaunted in front of the people of the village. Look, we can break through chains. Look, we can make this guy do anything we want. Look, we're controlling this one man. They get that those powers are no match for this guy. That Jesus has all the decision-making authority over this big old swarm of demons. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, can you just listen to this? When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Transformation. A prisoner of war set free. 
by the power of Jesus, set free. They find them sitting at Jesus' feet. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. It's interesting that the same people who were able to coexist with the legion of dark forces cannot coexist with the one who set him free. I think some of them were tending the pigs and so 2,000 pigs in the sea probably cost them a lot of money. And I think that sometimes in the battle for deliverance, in the battle for freedom, I think we want it, but we do wonder what it's gonna cost us. What will it cost us to truly be free? What will it cost us to really give up the things that commodify our lives in a way that works inside our world? The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. I love this part of the story because this is the perfect opportunity for Jesus to say, yeah, get in the boat, guy. You're gonna be my before and after. You're gonna be my perfect example of how I set people free. This is gonna be, this is gonna explode my ministry. But he doesn't. He doesn't ask him to become a disciple. He asks him to become a discipler. And this is a problem for me because I love spiritual formation and this guy isn't qualified. He doesn't know anything. He hasn't, does he know the Bible? Does he know the rules? Does he know anything about how we do things? Does he know how it works at the temple? Can he hang out in the synagogue? Will people believe him? Will they respect him? Is he gonna say it wrong? Jesus doesn't seem to care. He just says, go tell everyone what happened to you. Go tell people about who you are. Maybe we don't have to know as much as we think we need to know in order to make a difference in our world. If this guy, I mean, if this guy could do it, I bet I have a story too. Jesus sends him out to make disciples. Um, I love the idea that Jesus gets in the boat and leaves. I'm gonna tell you why. What in the world? Why did Jesus leave in the boat, go through a storm, pull up at a weird little place, deliver a demoniac, and go back to Capernaum? This was his mission. That guy was his mission. That was the only reason he's there. That's the only reason he gets in the boat. That's the only reason they survive the storm. It's so Jesus can get there and set one guy free of 2,000 demons. Jesus is on mission to make people free, totally, abundantly, uh, John 8 says, emphatically free. That's what he did then. Do we have any reason to believe that's not what he's up to now? I would propose to you, no. He is for us and he is for our freedom. So I wanna read one more story. And there's a lot of similarities and a lot of contrasts. This one is from Mark's gospel. Then Jesus and his companions went to Capernaum, back to Capernaum, and right away Jesus entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. The people, <clears throat> excuse me, were astonished at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes. 
Suddenly a man with an unclean spirit cried out in the synagogue. Now stop for a second. Check out the word suddenly. Because what this means is at any minute, this guy's normal, everything's going fine, nobody sees it coming, this isn't gradual, this isn't working up to it. Suddenly, this guy has an unclean spirit and cries out in the synagogue, what do you wanna do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked the spirit and said, be silent. He said, come out of him. At this, the unclean spirit threw the man into convulsions and came out with a loud shriek. All the people were amazed and began to ask one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. And the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the whole region of Galilee. This guy is not in an obscure village. He is not hanging out in the tombs. He is not naked and chained and cutting himself. He is not the picture of a demon-possessed guy we see in Halloween movies. That's not what's happening here. This guy is in church. This guy is dressed in his Sunday best. This guy seems just fine. And yet, he's a prisoner of war. Even going through the motions, checking the boxes in religion, he's still stuck. There is a part of him that is stuck in darkness. There's still a part of him that is at war. Darkness, but, but what's the same about this? Same about this story right away. He sees Jesus and he knows him. Dark recognizes light. Dark always recognizes light when it sees it. And dark always believes light is going to destroy it. Why? Because light is always going to destroy darkness. <laughs> because that's one place where darkness is right. They are no match for the Spirit of God. Light always triumphs. So how do we deal with the fallout from a cosmic battle today? You can probably see places in your history where you felt it. You've seen a life or death battle maybe. You've felt the presence of darkness or you've seen the triumph of light. Most people I talk to can see moments in their lives where they've seen the intersection of light and darkness come together. I just was thinking of one story about, I, right after I moved to Beaverton, I got married in, um, four years ago and I moved here and my husband and I went out for coffee one day and we were outside because our dog could be out there and a woman started walking toward us across the parking lot and from the minute she laid eyes on us she was screaming at us and I don't know why she was mad at us because she was screaming in another language and so she was just screaming 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 at us walking toward us walking toward us and I'm like Portland what is up I'm new here I don't know if this is how we greet each other I don't know how this works I'm from Bend and we love peace and so as she passes by us, she stares at us the whole time, screaming at us, walks into the coffee shop, and she's quiet in there, and I'm sitting at our table, and I'm like, that's darkness. She's not the enemy, but that's darkness. And I know that I am a child of light. I know it. So while I don't know that she wants to be set free, I do know how I will not be treated by darkness. And so when she came back out, she came out 
And she came out guns blazing, just screaming at us, screaming at us. And I looked at her and I held up my hand and I said, no. And she looked at me and she said, well, don't you think you're something? In perfect English and walked away. Just that. And I was like, what just happened? This is a crazy thing. Darkness and light. It happens. You are a carrier of the light of Jesus Christ. We need not fear because if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, you've got something to bring to the world. So Dallas Willard defines our thoughts and feelings and decisions and relationships and body and soul. He defines these things as the, the human condition. Our thoughts and feelings and decisions, our body and soul, our relationships are part of the human condition. Bless you. Be free. Discipleship is orienting all of these things around the beautiful light of Jesus Christ. The beautiful light of Jesus Christ. And so... These, all of these parts that we orient around Jesus, all of these parts that we move around him can also be helped by darkness, can also be stuck. And we don't wanna be stuck. So there can be places in our life that are living in freedom and places in our life that live in darkness. We see, we talked about it this morning, Juneteenth, physical bodies were enslaved by evil. Physical bodies, trapped slavery, always, always evil. We see things in our lives that can be stuck. Our thinking can be stuck to fear or anxiety or thoughts of self-harm or thoughts of failure. Our decisions can be stuck. Have you ever had a really rotten day and you go home and you're like, I shouldn't pour a drink right now. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I won't. I don't want to. And then you just do because it feels like freedom. It feels like some kind of counterfeit to freedom. These are the places where we can get stuck. And Jesus comes not to bring shame, but to bring freedom, to bring light and wholeness and truth. Jesus said in John 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. For freedom, this is Galatians 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to the yoke of slavery. So, the mission of God then was to do the miraculous to set us free. And the mission of God now is to do the miraculous to set us free. That's the mission of God in our lives. If he were here, he could read the Isaiah scroll and drop the mic and walk out of here and say, i here, I've done it. So, we are believing for freedom from oppression, from wrong thinking, from relationships that have us bound up, 
from substances or addictions, from debilitating shame, from chronic debt or poverty, freedom, freedom. If you've ever sat in the middle of a service like this and felt the freedom, like you're like, for the first time, I feel like my thinking is free. I, for, for the first time, I feel like um, I, can, I can have hope for the future. And then you walk out of here and you feel sad and discouraged again. It's because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Take his spirit with you. So how do we do it? Oh, you guys, I am out of time. Here we go. How do we do it? Ask God to illuminate any areas in your life that are held captive to darkness. Just ask him, illuminate what's inside of me. He wants to, he wants to show you, hey, that area of your thinking that you feel is just normal, I wanna, I wanna show you that that's darkness. Like the, the, the children of Israel were set free from their slavery, but it took them 40 years to possess the land because they still thought like slaves. And so God needs to sometimes remodel our thinking in the process. Ask him to illuminate thoughts or feelings or decisions or relationships or just a soul sickness that's keeping you stuck. Ask him specifically about lies that you have believed or are believing about who you were made to be. I was chained up to fear so profoundly in the first 25 years of my life that I'm always almost embarrassed to talk about it. When my husband would leave the house, I would literally push furniture up against the door because I was certain someone was coming in to kill me. I can trace that thinking back to when I was 10 years old. And it had become so much a part of my life. And my dad said, no more. This is not how you're gonna live anymore. And he prayed for me and I felt a miracle of freedom. And then, I had to develop the skill of freedom, to stay free. That's the next one, ask God to set you free. After you ask him to illuminate, ask him to set you free, total complete liberation, ask for a miracle from darkness, and then ask him to teach you how to stay free. How do I do this? For me, staying free means I don't watch creepy movies. It means I don't read creepy books. It means I can't take that darkness inside my life and expect to stay free from fear. I can't. And so the skill of freedom in my life is that I move these things outside my life because I understand that light lives in me. Ask someone to stand with you in your fight for freedom. A counselor, a pastor, celebrate recovery. They're a great place to start. If you need someone to come alongside you and help you walk into the light and stay in the light, if you want someone to help you live out a miracle story, Celebrate Recovery is a great place to start. It is every Thursday night here at the church. It's people who are getting free from all kinds of things, but all I know for sure is the spirit of freedom wants you to be free. And just because we sit in a church doesn't mean our our lives are always free. It doesn't mean all our lives are living in the beautiful, dancing, joy-filled freedom of the Holy Spirit, the freedom Jesus gave his life to buy for us. And so as we move through this next song, I'm gonna ask you to move through these four steps. They have a super corny little word thing 
I thought of it while I was studying, and then I told my husband, I think this is too stupid to share, but I'm going to actually share it with you. I think we have the slide. Illuminate. Ask him to show you if there's any darkness in your life. Liberate. Ask him to set you totally free, like right now. Just go ahead and set me totally free. I'd love that. Educate. Show me how to stay free. Show me the skill of freedom and collaborate. Partner up with someone to help you walk this out. Because my deep prayer this week is I have driven this, I've just been in my car just praying, Jesus, let B4 be a place where freedom runs wild, where freedom and beauty invade this place and flow out into our streets because people are bound by darkness. They are prisoners of war. And we are the search and rescue team. So I want you to listen during this song to the lover of your soul, listen to Jesus as he speaks to you about your current condition and where he's taking you next. <laughs> 